Hello and welcome to the latest Guildhall School events podcast. I'm joined by Dominic Wheeler, who's Head of Opera at the Guildhall School, and Kelly Robinson, Artistic Director of the Banff Centre in Canada, and they're collaborating on a new production of Owen Wingrave by Benjamin Britten, which opens in the Silk Street Theatre on the 5th of June. Dominic is conducting the opera and Kelly directing, and following the London performances, they'll travel to Banff with a cast of Guildhall singers to give the Canadian premiere of the work. So welcome to you both. Thank you. Thank you. Dominic, it's the year of the Britain Centenary and opera companies, conservatoires and ensembles all over the world are celebrating his rich body of work. So what drew you to Owen Wingrave? Because it's not one of his most best known works. Uh, well, um, actually, the, it was nothing to do. It was happy coincidence that it's the Britain Centenary. Um, there's only one criterion for choosing the operas here, which is what fits the group of singers that you've got. Um, uh, and we knew that we already had the triple bill, which is essentially romantic in nature, and we already had Figaro, uh, and we'd done uh, French and Italian, so I wanted to find something in English. I was happy to find something contemporary. Um, I was keen to develop... Um, uh, we normally need to go for a repertoire with a smaller orchestra in the summer as well, because there's just less orchestral students available. So it's all those kind of criteria that were actually what was about the piece that I was trying to choose. Uh, but I did start with Britain because it's as good as it gets when talking about modern <laughs> opera in English. Um, uh, I worked on a production of Owen Wingrave uh, many years ago, and um, so as I was looking through, I just noticed that it fit. It fitted the group of singers that we had, uh, and and then I thought, but we can't do it because I'm sure someone's going to be doing Owen Wingrave. Um, not that's a reason not to do it, but I was kind of aware that it was Britain's centenary. Maybe everyone else was doing it, and yeah. then found to our slight astonishment that no one else seemed to be doing it. So. <laughs> Um, so it presented us with an opportunity and um, so that's how I kind of arrived at it and, and the, 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 uh, it, you know, the, the process of finding the pieces here is always that pragmatic basically it's the sort of it's the training purposes first what do you need for that group of singers and then you try and weave a kind of artistic pattern out of that and this year as I say they'll have done Massenet and, and then Mozart and Britain which is a really nice combination of work for them um, Kelly, so this is a co-production between the Guildhall School and Canada's Banff Centre where you're Artistic Director. Um, can you tell us how the collaboration came about and what you think the students will get out of it? Well, uh, it's presumptuous of me, I think, to uh, imagine what the students uh, will get out of it. Um, uh, but uh, having said that, I'll, I'll have, a, have a go mm -hmm. at guessing uh, that. I think the collaboration... Um, which uh, is, is very satisfying and which I'm very pleased uh, to develop, came about uh, through a, a mutual friend and colleague, uh, Steve McNeff. Um, I had commissioned Steve to do a new work based on Last King of Scotland. Um, and uh, Steve and I go back almost 30 years in terms of uh, creating new works of opera. Uh, he's a <coughs> London-based uh, composer, well-known in both uh, symphonic and, and uh, theatre music of various kinds. And uh, we did some here, actually. We did uh, a scene from Last King of Scotland in the scenes here in the autumn, actually. Okay. Mm -hmm. Right. And, uh, and Dominic uh, was, was Stephen's choice in terms of a conductor, and so we met first, uh, I guess, over here and then in Banff. Uh, and... Um, and uh, then uh, Dominic came to Banff last summer and uh, was a conductor for us uh, on a new piece of Steve's, or at least uh, a revisit of The Secret Garden. And uh, I think uh, Dominic has a unique ability, both, uh, I would say, as a conductor of theater music, um, opera music particularly, um, 
but also in in the way he deals with students um, and uh, uh, it was clear to me that this was somebody that uh, we wanted to uh, develop a relationship with and uh, certainly the uh, reputation of the guild hall uh, is uh, is uh, inviting um, and uh, so it seemed a natural fit as far as the students um, <laughs> I hope that um, we, we run a program in the summer in Banff, uh, and, and the program really has to do with, uh, I would say, the craft of being an opera singer, and uh, that really is about creating life on stage. And uh, many, many conservatoire-trained uh, singers, and this is certainly one of the finest ones, uh, develop voices, they develop uh, various uh, techniques, uh, and, uh, and so on, acting movement, uh, and uh, props work and, and script interpretation and so on and so forth. And what we try and do at the center is to de develop a synthesis between all of those uh, complicated ways of, of being uh, on stage. And uh, so I would hope that uh, the singers will go away with an increased sense of their craft, a sense of how to synthesize all of that work, how to start to really view themselves as creatures of the stage uh, as much as they are of the, uh, of the studio and, uh, and the singing room and, and so on. Um, that work is well advanced, uh, obviously, at the Guildhall, and it's uh, something that we try to do quite specific about. You know, what became apparent to me was that there was a, a, a real simil similarity between, between the work that, that Kelly's been doing in Banff and that we do here in terms of this very thing, this, this, key, this uh, Kelly's word was synthesis, my key word is integration, but it's the same thing, this idea that everyone gets on, you, you, you need to learn all those skills, but if all we did was give everyone a toolbox of skills, we'd be failing them as opera singers. What they really have to learn is how to use those things such that it all becomes one thing that they do when they're on a stage. Uh, which is tell a story, convey the meaning of the opera, tell a story. And um, you don't find that clarity of vision everywhere. Yeah. Um, my predecessor, Clive Timms, was very clear about it. Uh, I learned it, I think, from him, and I'm very clear about it. But you don't see it everywhere else in conservatories around the world. Um, but it was very clear that Kelly thought that way. And uh, so, um, you know, when a, a chance to collaborate in that kind of way uh, presents itself, when you know you are working with a like-minded institution, then, that, then that's a, a valuable thing to do. And... I think there's a particularly interesting thing about this production, which we're going to do it here in Guildhall in one, one uh, configuration of staging. And we're going to do, uh, it's the same designer, the same lighting designer, the same creative team. We're going to go and do it in Banff again in a different way. And the cast are going to have, you know, five weeks away from it. And they're going to go and do it again. So it's this interesting thing about, about reinventing what they did within one configuration here in a new space, in a new environment. Um, I think that's a really interesting discipline yeah. as well that uh, I think um, and with music that's this, this difficult where when in the first kind of couple of weeks of working on the music they all went a bit pale um, <laughs> uh, they're going to get to the end of that and I think they're going to feel like well we can really do this uh, you know it was difficult music but we can do it now yeah. so they'll be much less frightened of doing difficult music again and it was that for me it was that sense of gaining confidence yeah. um, that I thought would be really exciting for them. Often for young uh, singers the the challenge is to get enough time in front of audiences mm -hmm. and to really feel that relation. What happens to my sense of who I am as a singer, as a character, and so on? How does that change when suddenly the, the hall is full of people? There's you know, a, one kind of relationship you have in the rehearsal hall, a very different one when you're in a, in a hall with, a, with an audience in. Sure. And uh, so giving, giving uh, young folks that opportunity to have an extended relationship with audiences is, is very important. 
Thank you. Um, I'm just going to talk a bit about the opera itself. Um, so Owen Wingrieve, it's often described as Britain's pacifist opera, um, and some say that it's his most personal. So it's completed in 1970, and it's based on a short story by Henry James, which follows the fate of Owen, a young man who rebelled against his military family in refusing to go to war. But it's also a ghost story, and quite unusually for an opera, it was originally composed for television. So Kelly, um, as you're directing the production, can you tell us a bit about how you're approaching the work and what kind of challenges there are in bringing an opera which was composed for television to the stage? Well, it's interesting because uh, I think that uh, a lot of the critical commentary about the piece really came out of um, a reception based around the television uh, performance itself. It, it doesn't have a, a big performing tradition. Um, and, and a lot of the, the critical commentary also came around a very particular time in the world. Uh, the Vietnam War was, uh, was a very uh, significant event, uh, and, uh, and clearly uh, Britain as a, as a pacifist and his own record in, in World War II as, a, as a, an objector and so on, I think fed this sort of sense of, I would say, of uh, a perhaps a reductive kind of critical analysis of the piece. I think the piece is actually uh, a much more interesting piece than uh, many uh, observers have given it credit for. It's really a piece about uh, a young person rebelling, challenging the authority of their and the legacy of their family. And out of that comes uh, issues of pacifism and militarism and so on and so forth. But I think at the heart of it, is something much more uh, human and personal about the story. And, and the further that uh, I dug into it, both with uh, the designer and with Dominic and, and in my own thoughts, it seemed to me that the contemporary resonances of the piece uh, were really more important than the kind of political thematic stuff that I read about when I, when I first started to explore the piece. And so we set it in contemporary times, um, and we took the journey uh, with, with our young cast to really connect them not only to, uh, you know, sort of current movements of, of uh, war, anti-war sentiment, but really their real experience in dealing with the expectations of their family. And, and, uh, and that's really the challenge at the heart of this piece is Owen's decision to go against uh, the kind of expectation that his particular family has placed on him and the consequences that come out of that struggle. And uh, that struggle is human, it's personal, psychological, it's emotional, um, and it's also to do with war, but it's not only to do with war. As well, this notion of uh, a piece being built uh, for television, it's, it's been an interesting uh, journey for us to discover that that Britain is uh, first and foremost a uh, man of the theater, and it's, a, it's really a, a wonderfully theatrical work. It was, it was shot in a particular way, and it was, there were certain expectations, I would say, in terms of some of the stage directions and some of the, some of the perhaps um, uh, sense about how uh, internalizing would, would seem to uh, work for camera, but in fact, Given his sense of, of drama, his sense of, of uh, the theater, of, uh, of characters' interaction, and so on. In fact, all one has to do is turn that sort of interior stuff into exterior stuff and externalize rather than internalize, and suddenly, voila, 
uh, one is on the stage uh, with the work. So there hasn't, I wouldn't say there's been a huge challenge in sort of seeing the piece come to life on stage at all. I, no, I think the only potential, no, I don't think so at all. I think the potential challenge is, poss is, is that uh, uh, it throws the focus much more naturally onto, what onto the characters that are listening to someone speaking and or interacting with. There's a long sequence, for example, where Owen's uh, family or the people at Paramore you know, give him a hard time and in another situation he may have a chance to reply but he isn't given one so it's quite a long paragraph and there's, a, there's quite a lot of that to, which, is, which is naturally cut out by the television because there's a lot of stuff in the television that would naturally imply that it suddenly goes on to someone's yeah. face and they say what they think and all of that kind of thing it cuts to someone else and they can all be in different rooms at the same time and here we have to put them in the same room so there's more, uh, there's more work to be done which is very very healthy in terms of listening and reacting on the part of other singers on stage, uh, which is all great. It's a really important thing to be good at in any case. Um, <laughs> um, there's probably more to do uh, from that point of view. But um, my personal take on the piece is that is that uh, Britain, in a sense, as Kelly says, is a man of the theatre, and he couldn't help himself but write a theatre opera, really. He said right at the beginning, I mean, very early on, in that he said that he was writing an opera for TV, but he was looking forward to seeing it on the stage. So I think he always thought that its, it's, it's further life would be more yeah. uh, sustained in the theatre than... Uh, and I th he certainly hasn't written anything that is unstageable. I think he knows that, you know. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I'm keen to sort of talk a bit about the music. Mm -hmm. I found this interesting quote from Gramophone magazine, which I'm just going to read out. It says, The shimmer of orchestral sound, sometimes impressionistic, sometimes gamelan-influenced, sometimes wholly percussive, is still an insufficiently appreciated wonder of 1970s operatic writing. Um, so what do you make of the music and how that might compare to Britain's other operas? The influences are very interesting. I think one of the key things about the piece that influenced the way Britain and that was very different about Owen Wingrave from his earlier operas was that uh, this is the first opera he'd written for quite a long time because he had a bit of a writer's block when it came to uh, all sorts of writing actually and his friend William Plomer who was a librettist suggested he go to Japan and he went to Japan he heard no theatre for the first time saw no theatre for the first time and this had a massive effect on the way he wrote music and there were various things that he picked up on um, uh, and what he wrote as a result of that was his three church parables, which are written to be performed, uh, one of which was based on a no play that he saw, Sumilagawa, that became Curly River. And they're written to be, pl to be played by uh, a group of singers and a group of musicians and no conductor. And they operate completely by people listening together and breathing together, because that's what he picked up. Uh, from watching the No Theatre, that there's, there's this sense of that everything sort of coincides, but nobody actually conducts or leads. It's just people... It's all done by breath, basically, and by listening. And he also, there was this thing as well that happens a lot in no theatre, where you can have two musics or two sets of gesture or two sets of things happening concurrently at the same time. And this, to me, the idea that he could write two sets of music going in different tempos with different instrumentations, um, operating at exactly the same time, seemed to sort of liberate him in terms of how he could compose. What's interesting to me, first of all, about Owen Wingrove is this fluidity that the music has, where... where there's huge, I mean, it's probably about 75% of the time someone is operating in a tempo that's independent to everything else. Yeah. Um, uh, 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 either a player or a singer, it might be, all sorts of, but there's, I mean, it's probably 75% of the time, it's not just everyone's playing in one tempo, there's something else happening, there's pauses, there's someone repeating a theme until someone else is finished and all of that kind of thing. 
Um, so I think that fluidity is something that's really interesting about it and gives the opera quite a special feeling. I think the second thing about the music that's interesting is, is the use of serialism, 12-tone uh, music, um, uh, which uh, Britain and Shostakovich, and who was a friend of Britain's and other people felt was a sort of degenerate way of writing music, um, <laughs> but which he did use. Um, actually, interestingly, his two Henry James operas he uses it, The Turn of the Screw and then uh, Death in Venice. Um, and in both cases, I think it's designed to, it's, it sees it as this kind of irrational, compulsive, slightly perverse force. <laughs> and so he kind of uses it to represent, in the case of Owen Wingrave, something about whatever that irrational, strange thing that is never actually articulated, but is actually driving the Wingraves. You know, nobody says at any point, why are they like this? Why are they so insistent that he has to be a soldier? And there's various possible answers offered by the piece. I think it's deliberate on both Henry James and Britain's part not to articulate it, not to articulate the why of that too clearly. But it's this kind of irrational, intangible thing. And then when Moen is finding his moments of clarity, he goes back to using diatonic music and beautiful chords and there's his heavenly moments of just delicious harmony and things just when Owen's finding his... So that interaction between, between the, the serialism language and then a, and a more... Um, conventional tonal kind of language is also really interesting to how it works throughout the piece and uh, um, and ingenious how it's set up so that at key moments every, you just go when a nice chord finally happens you will go <laughs> you know uh, it's kind of fascinating yeah so it's interesting that you've chosen to stage the opera in traverse with the audience on both sides of the stage and the musicians in the performance space instead of in the orchestra pit and um, what made you opt for this and have there been any sort of logistical challenges for the musicians and set designers and everybody involved well <clears throat> one of the one of the briefs um, that uh, Dominic gave me was that he wanted uh, something untraditional in terms of, of uh, staging or arrangement of stage such that uh, both the singers and the musicians would have perhaps a different relationship uh, to each other and to the audience which um, which I'm pleased and happy to to work on and provide but uh, more than that I think that the the piece really there's a very interesting uh, journey for Owen uh, there's a lot of sort of mythological references very subtle but uh, in many ways it's quest story and and Owen's quest is to convince his family to release him from the the ongoing legacy of the of the Wingrave family and uh, as such there's a lot of uh, militaristic language which really has to do with battles and skirmishes and campaigns and so on the, the, the first uh, real scene of the opera is all about military strategy and uh, Owen reveals to us early on that he understands his family's strategy and that he's going to apply his own strategy and so on. And it began to suggest this kind of, of sporting field to us in which um, there were teams at each end, Owen uh, and his family at the other end, and that they would come into the center and do battle and retire to lick their wounds and then come back again. And that also then suggested uh, the notion of, well, it, it seems that Owen is, is rather outnumbered and that doesn't seem very fair. And I think that's part of, of Britain's uh, point. But in a way, that's not a very dramatic idea. And so what we uh, did in setting it in contemporary times is sort of imagine, so who is Owen's community? Who are his friends? Who, and, and 
the, the notion of an online community uh, became interesting to us in terms of both those that Owen could go to to refresh his ideas and to find new ideas about uh, his, his, his future life, uh, not as a Wingrave soldier, but as somebody else, but, uh, but also to gain support from. And so we, uh, we have an Owen Wingrave Facebook page um, where Owen updates uh, his situation and where he gets uh, encouragement from friends <coughs> and, and that community. And so that in a way, Owen now represents a, a larger community in terms of the, the contrast. So the audience gets to sit on both sides. It feels a little bit like a sporting field. We have the or orchestra at one end, uh, providing the energy that only uh, an orchestra can provide, energy and color and, and, uh, and uh, context and so on. And at the other end, the, the haunted room. And so the journey is really between both sides until it ends in the haunted room. We've always enjoyed in the first year when they do their scenes and the audience is quite close to them, that whole thing of, of the audience being very, very close to you. And uh, it makes you focus what you do as an actor and, and as, a, uh, as a musician and as a singer and as a singer of text. It just makes them focus those things in a really healthy way. So it's, uh, I've been keen to encourage that, those kind of approaches to the pieces we do in the summer term when we normally have a smaller orchestra. But this piece particularly seemed to lend itself to that, I think. I think we felt immediately that this piece would respond to that. There's no safety, really. Um, no, no, no. The, the audience is close enough to see the, the perspiration and the twitch <laughs> and, the, and the intake of breath and, and so on. And, uh, and having, uh, you know, rather than sort of addressing the velvet blackness of whatever it is on the other side of the pit and the murmur, the slight, the cough that comes out of the dark, uh, in this case, the audience will be visible uh, to the singers in a way that... Uh, that they're not accustomed to, and uh, and uh, like you know in, in reverse as well, and so there's a there's a relationship that happens that's uh, hotter, that's more immediate, that's more electric, uh, and and again I agree I think that with a piece like this uh, which is so intense that uh, having that uh, more immediate relationship uh, and more immediate response is going to be exciting for them. Great, thank you very much. Thanks for both taking the time to speak with me. Um, so Owen Wingrave opens in the Silk Street Theatre on Wednesday the 5th of June and there are four performances that week. Tickets are on sale from the Barbican box office. Many thanks.